What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming back for week number five of Theology of the Gospel. I love, if you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 119, Psalm chapter 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, We're going to look at verse 97 through 104. Uh, What we're looking at tonight is the spiritual disciplines of a Christian life, and I'm really excited for this. And uh, I really was meditating on the Psalms this morning, and I read Psalm 119. And starting in verse 97, I just thought it's so perfect with kind of the approach I want us to take tonight. And my prayer is that uh, we don't just have a season of this kind of delight in God's Word, but that it would be our entire lives that we are constantly meditating on His Word. So let's read this together, Psalm 119, starting in verse 97. It says, and I'm reading the CSB version, it says, How I love your instruction. It is my meditation all day long. Can you imagine if we live that way? How good would that be? Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are always with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, because your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the elders, because I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path to follow your word. I have not churned from your judgments, for you yourself have instructed me. How sweet your word is to my taste, amen, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Let us pray. Father God, we're so thankful, Lord, that we have this opportunity to learn from the Word of God. I pray that tonight would be no different. Father, I pray, Lord, uh, I'm just so thankful for the testimony, Lord, of some of our people here these last four weeks who have just been impacted by uh, the theology of the gospel and may tonight be no different. And God, I'm thankful, Lord, for this lesson Uh, It's a lot more heart than anything, and God, I pray that we would leave here. Maybe there's something here tonight that we're going to talk about that we've always seen as a duty to serve you, and God, may you transform our hearts. God, I'm asking you to open our eyes. Lord, may our ears be open to hear something that we once saw as a duty. May we leave here tonight seeing it as something of great delight. God, I'm asking tonight for heart transformation for those who aren't saved, but also those who have been saved. I pray that you would awaken our affections, God, because I know the things of this world choke us out, and we can get so distracted, and it's so hard to get back to your word. But God, may we hold on to the fact that uh, because we draw near to you, Lord, you already drew near to us. And we're thankful, Lord, for that truth, and may we bank on that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Today we're going to look at the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. What are disciplines? Again, this is kind of uh, immediately even the word discipline might start something in you. You think of, okay, waking up early for football practice and you're dreading it, right? This is, this word discipline is something I love, but at the same time, discipline, a lot of people associate it with duty. A lot of people associate it with something you have to do and something that's very tiring, but you do it because you want the end goal. What I love about the Christian life is disciplines is something we can enjoy along the way. Amen. It's a process, but the way I love how God has designed the Christian life where we're not doing something. Of course we do. We do have heaven, so we have an eternal reward, but at the same time, we actually already have our reward here and now. 
because we don't have to wait to talk to Jesus, right? We get to communicate with him now. We get to experience joy with his people today. And so that's what I want to look at. Donald Whitney, most of what we're looking at tonight was influenced by Donald Whitney. It's a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he spent a lot of times coming over to California Baptist, so I've had a lot of personal conversations with him. And uh, it's at the back, in the back of these notes. Uh, the recommendation is his book, Spiritual Disciplines of a Christian Life. And honestly, most of what we're looking at tonight is at least, not word for word, but it's, I kind of used his template to create tonight's lesson. Here's his definition of the disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that, one, promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. I hope maybe that will bring some more uh, light uh, enlightenment to you. I want to start out by talking about the list. There's all sorts of disciplines. In fact, if we went down the nitty-gritty, I could probably come up with eight more. But I decided to do seven overall. Here's spiritual disciplines of a Christian life. So taking notes, first one, of course, is Bible reading. This is absolutely foundational to spiritual disciplines. You'll find everything else we do after this is because of it's, deri it's derived from when we read God's Word. So this is searching and applying the Old and New Testament. And I love how uh, you mentioned that last week. It's also the Old Testament, not just New Testament that we meditate on. The next thing we're going to look at, we already talked about Bible reading last week. So if you missed that session, look that up. But these rest, the rest of the ones that we're going to look at for the remainder of the night, praying, prayer. This is communicating with God. So I love it. Reading God's Word is Him communicating to us, but we have the privilege to communicate back to God. Can you imagine? I mean, even thinking of someone of royalty today, talking to a president, we would feel so privileged, and yet we have complete access to the throne because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and we can approach with confidence, and that just absolutely blows me away. The next one we're going to look at tonight is meditation. This one, I believe, is super, super underrated in our culture, but it's, it's the emphasis of reflecting on God's Word. That's just what we read in Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love to meditate on your Word. We're going to look at what that means tonight. Next one is memorization. Hiding God's Word in your heart. Again, I, uh, I was actually talking to uh, people on my staff, Zhang and Caleb, and actually Kenny, and it's interesting how it seems like we really push to our kids to memorize scripture, but it kind of fades away when we become adults. Why is that? Why do we push that for our kids, but we're not memorizing for ourselves? So we're going to look into that. The other one is worship. I don't know if you've ever seen that as a discipline, but it most definitely is. It's praising, it's praising God for what he's done and what he's doing. Uh, I hope as a Christian, you have those awkward moments alone and you are just singing praises to Jesus. Amen. It's not just a corporate thing. It's also something to do individually. Then we're going to look at Sabbath. This is going to be kind of, uh, a lot of people have a lot of questions. Uh, does Sabbath still apply into the new covenant? How, what does that look like in today's times? Uh, there's a lot of different religions that are around our area right now that have different views of Sabbath that we do. So we're going to kind of explore that a little bit tonight. Essentially, it's resting in God's sufficiency. And the last one I'm really excited about because I feel like this is the most ignored, but maybe one of the most powerful things we can do, and that's fasting. Really think in your head, don't answer out loud, when is the last time you fasted? 
That's pretty convicting. Uh, most of us, we have a pretty poor answer. Uh, but I also believe a lot of us fast for the wrong reasons. And so I'm excited for us to dive into what I think is going to be the most extensive study of tonight. Why do we fast? What's the purpose and how do we fast? Uh, before I move on to the next thing, I kind of want to give a little small history lesson and then we'll move on. Uh, spiritual disciplines, if you study church history, has been such a huge emphasis in the church until recent days. Uh, and again, I don't want to just say until, because there's still great Christians who are meditating on God's Word, doing all these things we're going to look at tonight. But as a general rule, it seems like the church has shifted its focus on intimacy with Jesus. They'd rather just do ministry for Jesus. Do you get the difference? I, I think we need to, first and foremost, John 15, abide in Christ, because what, what happens? If we don't abide in Christ, we can do, apart from me, what does he say? You can do nothing. And so uh, historically, it's fascinating. In the medieval times, they almost, they almost became legalistic about this, but they were so set on having the greatest spiritual life by having the greatest amount of discipline in these areas. And so there's actually one, it's, uh, it was a story of a nun, and she was uh, trying to fast as much as possible and memorize God's word and do all these things. And it's a really gross story. So I figured that's how we start out. Amen. And so she actually was serving. And if we had enough time, I would include that in another spiritual discipline, serving God's people. And so they were serving. She was serving God's, uh, just serving the poor, in fact. And there was one lady who came by and her feet were so gross that pus was just oozing from her feet. Anybody feel good this morning tonight? I'm such a preacher. I always say this morning. Anybody feel good? Okay. Anybody feel good tonight? This pus was oozing, and so she her first thought was she had a repulsive instinct of being like, "Ew, you're gross. You know that is nasty." And the story goes where she starts to realize, "Wow, I'm not being disciplined in my life. I need to love her. I need to fight these feelings of being grossed out, and I need to move beyond that. Which, by the way, that's what disciplines are. Disciplines are not controlled by feelings, amen? They're controlled by faith. And so our faith, our feelings don't determine our future. Our faith is, I'm about to preach. I need to stop. But do you see how disciplines are something you do even though you feel like you can't, but you know you ought to? And so what the, I don't, I don't suggest this, but what the none does she goes up to the lady first of all repents and says I am so sorry when I first saw your feet I went right it's probably in that same this is exactly what she probably did and so you know what she did she took a bowl and she gathered pus from her feet and she drank of it so who has the grossest feet here we come on down I got a couple bowls uh, no but she was so dedicated now here's my thought I think she went a little too far, amen? All righty then. And, uh, good thing she was a nun, you know what I'm saying? Okay, and so, uh, it was like a husband joke. Okay, but so, gross, right? But I almost kind of wish we kind of maybe lean in that direction a little bit more. I feel like we are so controlled by our feelings, and we are just repulsed, and we say, God, I will serve you. God, I will pray, but when I feel like it. I will do this, but when I feel like it. And then we find at the end of our life, oh my goodness, I never felt like it, so I never did it. And then we have a life of regret. So I hope tonight is uh, really helpful for us. Again, my biggest prayer for tonight, maybe not walking so much from head knowledge, but that our hearts are awakened to the realities of Scripture. So let's first look at prayer. What is prayer? Now, I can go a million different directions with this, of course. 
uh, and I really did pray. <laughs> See what I did there? I prayed and asked God, what kind of direction should I go with this? And I'm going to read the uh, description I provided. Prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. I want you to think about that. We are encountering the holy and living God when we pray. Thankfully, God does not only want us to present our request to him, but he wants to communicate back to us. How often do we pray and expect a reply? I think it would increase our prayer life. Prayer can be very intimidating, but the following will give you great steps towards a strong prayer life, okay? So here's number one. Prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. I think a lot of people, we really struggle enjoying prayer because we haven't made it. We just say, okay, I pray for all the people in the world. I pray for this. I pray for that. But when is the last time you've laid out your deepest desires before the throne of God? Like, when is the last time you laid out your deepest fears and cried out to God? Read the Psalms. It is absolutely everywhere. One of the greatest ways to pray is to make it personal. And guess what? Don't hold anything back. He knows what you're thinking, right? You might as well say, okay, God, I'm caught. I might as well just tell you what I'm thinking and let me wrestle with this. I also talk about how do you pray, God, about your pain? Do you pray to God and thank him about the joys in your life? And so much more. I think in an effective prayer life, you need to be praying for not only yourself, but those closest around you. Do you make it that personal? Or is it just very not personal at all? Here's the next thing I believe prayer is. Prayer is relational. How do you approach God in prayer? Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us to pray, and he starts out with, Father. Did you know if you read the biblical text, you read the Gospels, almost every, I think it's every single time Jesus refers to God as Father except once. You know when that one time was? When he's on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, so every time Jesus, this is a radical thought. The Old Testament people never really thought of God as Father. It's just this holy, righteous creator. But now Jesus says, look, because of me, because I have come, I have bridged the gap and made a relationship. You don't just view God as this person way up there, but he's also your loving father, which means you're an adopted son and daughter of the king. And I love that. I love knowing the relationship there. It was a, a pastor, I think it was a Puritan, who says, who dare would wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water. Of course, his son would, without ever thinking twice about it. You wouldn't, I hope not, wake up Donald Trump, because he's probably tweeting anyways at 2 a.m. and ask him for a glass of water, right? That is just something you don't do because you, that was a good joke, you respect him. But with God, we don't have to worry about that because he's dad, Abba Father. I think that's very crucial for us to know. Next thing, prayer is asking. I don't know if you've caught on yet, but I'm about to do prayer, P-R-A. Okay, the next one's Y. Okay, so prayer is asking. I love James 4. It says we have not. Why? Because we ask not. When is the last time you prayed for something and you literally thought it'd be impossible? I think that's exactly where God wants us to be. Like I was just talking with Zhang, and we are setting up, uh, we are just going all out for ASU Polytech this year. And we're doing a cool prices right event, and we're very excited about it. And I've had fears. And then I just thought, I was talking to him tonight, what if over, you know, I told him I should have said a bigger number. Like, what if we have way over 200 students come, and the first night of Bible study, we have like 75 to 100 students here just ready to hear God's word. How cool would that be? To me, it sounds impossible, but why not? Why don't we just start asking God for that and see what happens? Um, I think think so many of us, again, I'm trying not to preach tonight, but... 
I'm convicted of that. How are you, what are you, what are your deepest desires? Because if we are studying God's word, the scripture says our desires will match the desires of God. And so we can ask without any, uh, without being uh, intimidated at all, because we know our desires are pure and that's what God wants for us. Now, does God always answer with a yes? Of course not, but he's wiser than us. But why not ask? Okay, also prayer is yearning. An element most people miss out on is asking for God's presence. I think we really miss out on the power of prayer if we're only there to, to get something from him. Uh, I heard a pastor, Tim Keller, he says, Non-Christians see God as useful. Believers in Jesus see God as beautiful. There's a big difference there. If you only come to God because he's useful... I dare say you might not actually be a believer in Jesus because an adoptive, adopted son or daughter of the king, not only, yes, of course, God is helpful, but I don't want to use him. What's most important is that I get to be with him, and I yearn for his presence. And so I just love it, the thinking through my life. When I've experienced him most, think about this. The, when the moments I've experienced God most is when I was praying to him. So why don't I pray more? This is very convicting for me because... Uh, I admit I'm not the best. I'm kind of like, I'm like my dad. Let's just hurry. Let's go do something. Do, do, do. But God calls us to wait. The other one is prayer is expecting. Kind of goes with the ask. But look, God is not only powerful. This is so good. God is not only powerful, but he's generous. My whole life, I knew God was powerful, but I've always wondered if he'd be generous to me. And so... That, that's a lot of my problems because I, I always feel like I need to earn it. But guys, God is such a loving God. Why don't we expect more? Because God is not only good and able, but he's willing. And I think that's such a beautiful truth. Again, Ephesians 3 is a really great passage for us uh, if you want to dive into it, especially the last few verses when it comes to the topic of prayer. But the last one we have is prayer is revealing. You want to know what you love, what you care about most? Check out your prayer life. Because prayer reveals what you truly love most. And so it's really cool. I think I planned on sharing this later, but I actually have this journal I found when I was preparing for this. And uh, it's cute. And it's, you know, I put little T-R-E-Y. And, you know, I made this when I was uh, 13 years old. And it's just really cool because I got this right after I surrendered my life to ministries. And it's so fun because it's a prayer journal. And I can look through it. It's, uh, you know, 11, almost 12 years old. It is 12 years old. It's 12 years old, and it's just amazing to see the things that I desired then and then kind of looking at my life now, which, side sidebar, journal your prayers. That's super amazing. And what I encourage you is to go back and see how God answered all those prayers and then pray God to God again and thank him for it. Okay, so let me give you a couple quotes on prayer, and then we're going to move on. Uh, if you want to have a good resource on prayer, E.M. Bounds, E. Dot M. Dot e. M. Bounds is a fantastic author when it comes to the power of prayer. Uh, Dad, that book's in your office right now, right? Uh, I love it. He actually, in one of his books, he says he was so terrified of this new cotton gin because it's going to get people distracted and no longer focus on the living Lord. And I'm thinking, you have no idea what we got going on these days. You're worried about a cotton gin. I go to a cotton gin to relax and get distraction-free, right? He was thinking, wow, we're too distracted these days. Uh, but it's a great book talking about the power of prayer, how to pray. But he has this quote. He says, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. 
a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Uh, Tim Keller puts, prayer, though it is often draining, even in agony. Can we just admit that? It is hard. But even though it is in the long term the greatest source of power that is possible. So we should push through it. Any uh, Charles Spurgeon fans in here? Me too. Okay, he says this. He says, if you believe in prayer at all, expect God to hear you. If you do not expect, if you do not expect, you will not have. God will not hear you unless you believe he will hear you. But if you believe he will, he will be as good as your faith. I think that's really good. So that's prayer. Hope y'all do it. Okay, next one. What is meditation? I know, again, especially in our world, that's not even something we, we often talk about. Uh, meditation, actually, me and my wife were in Sedona this past weekend. If you want to see my adventure, go to youtube.com slash Trey Van Camp. No, no, no shame. And so we were in Sedona, and all they talked about was meditation. And it's like, you robbed that from us. We started meditation, okay? We, it's not like this new age thing, although they, they say it's theirs. Scripture has, since the beginning, always talked about meditation. Donald Whitney describes meditation this way. Meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities <coughs> revealed in Scripture for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. So here's some helpful tips. I don't want to get too into this again because we have a lot to go through. But the first, uh, fill in the blank, select an appropriate passage. So it's really helpful for you to, to find a passage in Scripture that re- relates to your current concerns and personal needs. So if, there, if you're struggling with something, uh, if you are brokenhearted, go to Psalm 34 and meditate on the verse that says God is close to the Christian spirit, right? He, is, he saves those who are brokenhearted. Take that verse and think about it over and over and over again. Uh, Louis Giglio, actually, in his book, uh, The Great I Am, he talked about one way to meditate is to em- every day think of, take one verse, okay, for a week, and every day emphasize the next word. So uh, let me just try to give you an example. I didn't plan on sharing this, so I should have been more prepared. Okay, so your decrees are wondrous, therefore I obey them. So one day I meditate on your decrees are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The next day I meditate and think over your decrees are wondrous. So the first day I kept thinking about all of his decrees. The next day I'm thinking about, wow, I want to think through all the ways they're wondrous and so on and so forth. Therefore, I obey. So you now meditating that whole next day. How do I obey your decrees that are so wonderful? Do you guys get it? So it's this picking each word and, and p- selecting a, uh, an appropriate passage. Next way uh, the helpful to do is to repeat it in different ways. Repeat it in different ways. I love the fact that we have so many translations at our fingertips. Uh, You can just go to BibleGateway.com or BibleHub.com also helps. And so you just put in a scripture and it'll give you all sorts of different translations. And so what's cool is to repeat them, but but say them in many different ways that that you see there online. The other way is to uh, rewrite it in your own words. This was always helpful for me in understanding Greek. I'd have to, to take the Greek, make it into my own thing, and then also kind of try to rewrite it to, for it to make sense. Because what's helpful for meditation, again, it's memorization's a little bit step further, but meditation is you're trying to get the main meaning of this passage, of this verse, of this chapter, of this section. And so you're just rewording it because it gets into your brain and it's something that you think through uh, throughout your day. Another thing is to look for applications of the text. 
the outcome of meditation should always be application. If we are meditating just for the sake of meditating, we've completely wasted our time. But for meditating, because what meditation does is when you first read something, this is why so many people tell me, Bible reading so boring. And I'm like, then you don't know how to meditate. Because when you first read a verse, guys, this is what us preachers do. The first, like I'm preaching on 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 26 this Sunday. When I first read it, I thought, I got nothing. I cannot preach this. How am I going to do this? But when I meditated on it and thought about it over and over and over again and thought through examples over and over again, now I can't wait to share. Do you guys see the difference? You cannot expect to come to the text and immediately get everything from it. That is if you're just looking for head knowledge. But if you want to transfer it to your heart, think about those things and meditate over over and over and over again. And those applications really start coming alive. Next thing is to pray through the text. I just, I love this. Okay, so uh, here's my biggest tip. Like, if I really think this will just encourage your spiritual walk with Jesus in a way that is just mind-blowing. Uh, man, I'm forgetting the, what it's called. It's by Donald Whitney. I would just look up Donald Whitney, all of his works. It's really good. But it's, I think it's called How to Pray Through Your Bible. But he gives, it's a little small pamphlet. And uh, I just want to give you an example. So here's, here's my practice that I've done, and I absolutely love it. Today is August what? August 9th. So here's what I do. I go, and again, I really hope you guys are really paying attention to this because I think this will change your life. I'm going to go to Psalm chapter 9, okay? I'm going to go to Psalm 9. This is what I do in the mornings. I look at it real quick, and I just scan read. Okay, I think, okay, if you have help by just cause, I just look at a few words. Okay, I'm not really feeling it, although I am. But, you know, so now what? here's what I do. Psalm 9 is not working for me today. I'm going to do Psalm, I'm going to add 30. So I'm going to go to Psalm 39. Are you tracking with me? I know for you Queen Creekins, this is going to be hard to do math, but um, that was rude, Trey. Okay, Psalm 39. Okay, so I, 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 I gaze at that, and I think, okay. But let me just check one more time because I know Psalm 69 is really good. Okay, so let me add 30. And you can do this five times if you know math correctly. So Psalm 69, great. I want to do Psalm 69. Here's how you pray through a text. And again, you can spend as long as you want on one verse or as quick as you want on one verse. So it says, save me, God, for the water has risen to my neck. So I read that out loud, and now I pray through it. And I think God saved me, for the water has risen on my neck. God, here's all the problems I'm going through right now. Here's the ways in which I feel like, here's the water that's rising up to my neck today. So God, I'm pleading with you to save me. God, oh, I forgot even this thing. Oh, I feel like I can't even breathe right now. God, can you save me today? You could spend a long time on that first verse. But okay, praise the Lord, I'm going to go into the next verse. I have sunk in deep mud, and there is no footing. I have come into deep water, and a flood sweeps over me. Yes, Jesus, I'm telling you, I really do feel like I'm absolutely lost right now. But that's all I have to say. I don't need to keep going. Verse 3, I am weary from my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. You could think, okay, I've already kind of talked about how desperate I am in verses 1 and 2, so I'm just going to go all the way to verse 4. Those who hate me without cause are more numerous than the hairs of my head. Father God, my dad just absolutely, no, no think through this person hates me right now, God, and I don't know why. I feel like I can't even number them. Do you guys see where I'm going? And, and have you ever done this? It is powerful. Pray through the text. 
Uh, I love verse 5. God, you know my foolishness and my guilty acts are not hidden from you. What a great opportunity to spend your morning confessing your sins to God and saying, God, I am foolish, but you are the one who is wise and completely above me. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, even though all these things are up to my neck. Because of my foolishness, you can save me because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me just praise you for that before I move on to my day. Do you guys see that? It's so powerful. The Psalms are the best book to do this. But I also encourage you to research and find all the prayers that Paul wrote in his letters, like Ephesians chapter 3, and take that prayer, read one line, and pray it out loud and how it applies to your life. This, if I promise, if there's anything you leave with tonight, leave with that right there. You guys can go home now, okay? Go home. No, so that's good. Really, really good. I think that'll, because here's why. I, I heard, uh, I think it was Thomas Watson. Oh, no, he's about to say it, so I'm not going to give that one away. But there's another guy, and he says, it takes me f- four hours in the morning to finally feel like I'm in the presence of God. Guys, we take four seconds and we quit. What if we start with the Psalms and we start meditating on his word and allowing God to do his work? What could happen? All right. Amen. Oh, yeah, it is Thomas. Let me, let me share it now. It's, not a, it's in my notes. Okay, here's Thomas Watson quote. He says, The reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. I'm going to say it one more time. The reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Guys, maybe the biggest reason why you don't like the Bible is because you've never meditated on it. What if that has changed your life? I I believe it will. All right, stop preaching, Trey. All right, next one. Don't rush. Do not rush. Read less in order to have some unhurried time for meditation. Ben Stewart, he's a great guy who's planting a church in Washington, D.C. with Louis Giglio. He posted on his Instagram this morning how he has decided he just starts in Genesis, and he meditates on it, but here's what he does. He wants to eventually end, but he never puts a timetable. He never says a Bible in a year. He just says, some days I read two books, some days I read two verses. The point is that I pick up where I left off and read something every day because this is something for my competitive spirit. I love it. When I was a senior in high school, have you guys ever uh, B90X? Remember that thing back in the day? Well, I did Bible 90X, okay? So I was like, I'm going to read the Bible in 90 days. I finished it in 28, okay? I read the entire Bible in 28 days, which I suggest doing because you see the overall picture. It's awesome. But I was so competitive. I wanted to beat it. That was the problem. And so for me, I just want to get stuff to check off the list. So maybe create another environment where, no, 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 I'm not going to make it where I need to finish it. This is a lot of time. The fact is I just need to do this every day, and whatever happens, happens. You guys see what I'm saying? It's just something to think through. All right. Do not rush. Now, rushing to the next point. What is memorization? You guys are asked the greatest questions. All right, what is memorization? Charles Spurgeon, my boy, he says, The Bible in the memory is better than the Bible in the bookcase. Modern day translation, The Bible in the memory is better than the Bible in the nook, right? Or the Kindle, or whatever. Do you spend an emphasis in your life memorizing God's Word? It's, uh, I'm going to give us some helpful tips. I know so many of us, we think, I don't know how to memorize, but then if I put on Journey, all y'all are going to start singing along, right? And you know every single word, you know what I'm saying? Did did that relate? Did that hit, Mom? I know it did for you. Michael Jackson, are are we good? Okay. We all can memorize, but it's just different. Am I allowed to say that word in church? Okay, so here's tip number one. 
Select verses on a particular topic. It's a lot like meditation. When you memorize something, think about something you're struggling through. Are you fighting through a sin? Go through Scripture. Google is amazing. Look up Scripture to fight against sin or to fight against gossip, fight against lying, fight against killing. If that's your thing, all right. You know, fight against whatever it is. Look up Scripture, and it will give you a list of Scripture to memorize. Think about those things because here's what's so powerful. I don't know if you've read the Bible. But Matthew chapter 4, Jesus defeats Satan. You know how he does? Because he quotes the Word of God. And he quotes particular verses for particular situations. It's not just Jesus wept. Okay, I said a verse out loud. I'm now going to win this battle. No, it's applying truth because here's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to bring us a lie. But praise the Lord, for every lie we have three truths. Amen? And so we can fight that lie with the truth and convince our own minds that this is how we need to do it. So, find an appropriate passage. Uh, Okay, good. Memorize a section of Scripture. I would start out with the Psalms. Uh, Here's what's so important. I think as kids, it's great to memorize one verse, you know, or two, like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, fantastic. But I think as we grow up to adults, it is so powerful because in the fight against this world, we can't just do one. I, I, for me, I love quoting an entire psalm. Like quoting an entire, not to show off, but, but when I'm alone in my car and I'm thinking, how can I praise God right now? And I start quoting Psalm 46, right? God is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. You know what I'm saying? I start saying these things out loud. There's something so powerful with that. It awakens my affections to love Jesus uh, more than ever. So memorize a section. So I, again, I would suggest Psalms, but then after that, I would look at, because uh, I'm I kind of partial to this guy, uh, a, a letter from Paul, maybe Romans chapter 8. Wow. If you have Romans 8 memorized, you're ahead of schedule. That is such a powerful, there's so many things Paul addresses in that chapter. First uh, Timothy 4 is so good. So many, just find one, Ephesians 3. There's so many great chapters to memorize. I suggest, suggest you do it. Now, one way to do that is to write out the verses. So put it on a piece of paper and write it out over and over and over again. Science says one one of the greatest ways you can memorize is is to write it out. I actually learned for the longest I would type it out, and they said it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't help as much. You need to, old school, hey, youngins, listen up. You take this thing called a pen, and you find this thing called a paper. If you don't have one, just write it on your hand, and you just start writing out the scripture. There's something that it does for the brain. It's fascinating. For me, it, it helps me memorize. Like, it just, I see, I just see myself writing those words. Write them out. <clears throat> I just went through puberty. Okay, write them out and do that. Here's the next thing. Use your senses. This is what my mom is best at. Every second grade teacher is just, so like the Ten Commandments, you like use your hand and like do all, it's weird. I don't know what you do, but you figured it out. And so you use, uh, like, <laughs> Uh, songs, sing songs out loud. Uh, again, kids use this, but I think us adults, we got to figure out a way that we can do this. One of the greatest ways, it, there's a uh, epic soundtrack, Bra- Braveheart. Anybody heard the Braveheart soundtrack? Anytime I memorize scripture, I turn on the Braveheart soundtrack, and I'm just saying it out. It's great. It should, oh man, that should be on my blog one day. So it's pretty funny, uh, but I feel epic. And for some reason, though, music in the background helps me zero in, and I can memorize something a lot more helpful. Uh, another way to use your senses, uh, we have this thing called a, an iPhone, and what you can do is you can record. And so what's cool is just record the verse, read it out loud, record it, and then just play it over and over. Just hear yourself 
saying it out loud, hearing it helps a lot. Uh, I can go on and on, but there's so many ways that you can use your senses. Uh, I also put on the bottom, look up the Verses app on your phone. Uh, the iPhone app, Verses, it's literally just called Verses, is phenomenal. It, it gives you different ways. Uh, it's a fill-in-the-blank. gives you an option. So it says, you know, like for me, I'm trying to memorize Second Timothy because that's what I'm preaching through. So it would be an entire paragraph, and like every eighth word or second word, it just it always bounces around. It's blank. So then I have a word bank, and I figure out which word fits where. It's a great way to get you to memorize. Sometimes everything's blank, and if I tap it once, it says a phrase. Then I just keep tapping, and it keeps putting the phrase down. It's just different ways. It's super helpful. It says stuff out loud. There's ways where it says verse 3, verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, and you have to reorder them. It's just fascinating. So look up that app. It's really helpful. Here's one of the things. I was talking to Kenny. I don't know if, Kenny, are you here? These lights are bad, but Kenny, uh, he goes to he goes to my church. He's been he preached for me one week, and he has he literally has Romans eight perfectly memorized. And so he would stop in the middle, explain it, and then he had no notes. He just remembered right where he left off, and he kept going. He went through the whole chapter. I was fascinated, and so I asked him while I was creating this, "What's what's the key?" And he says, "For me, I had to make sure I memorized every single word perfectly, even down to the is, the the, the of." And I was like, why is that? Well, first of all, this is God's holy word, so I want to make sure it's perfect, right? But he said it's also, it just really helps you zero in and remember, for some reason, it actually helps him keep it in his brain to even remember the smallest words. And so memorize it perfectly word for word. Uh, um, also meaning what's super helpful, what he suggested, and I think is great. Here's my problem. I keep memorizing uh, chapters, but sometimes I forget what chapter it is. You know, so it's very helpful to say Psalm 45, 1, say that. Verse 2, say it. It just helps you. I don't know. Okay, next one is uh, find a method of accountability. Meet with someone regularly. If you have a, if you have a spouse, uh, memorize scripture together. Be accountable towards one another. This is something, memorization, we can just start coming up with excuses why we ought not memorize. Uh, but if we have accountability, it'll help us stay accountable and to keep pushing and going further. Uh, last thing is to review. Review and meditate on your verses every single day. That's what I asked Kenny. I was like, Kenny, what, you know, what books do you have? And he started listening off books of the Bible, and he almost has all of John memorized. You've got to meet this guy. And so I was like, how do you do this? And he's like, well, I put so much work into it. I have, he has this, like, note card system. And every week he has a new book that he already memorized in the past, but he, he reviews it that week. Review. Don't, you spent so much energy memorizing it. Keep it somewhere and review it over and over so you don't lose it, okay? All right, good on mem memorization. Makes sense? All right, let's talk about the most controversial thing in church. What is worship? The reason why some of you guys are here, the reason why some people aren't here, okay? What is true worship? It's fascinating to me that so many churches can be uh, split off something as simple as worship. Um, I honestly, I don't want to get in trouble here, but I kind of think it's a sign of immaturity when we're so picky about worship and not thinking about the heart. But I'm not the pastor here, so I can say that. Uh, worship, I just email Billy at Heart Christ, you know. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say, and like that last part, and the way we live. So worship is an act of our lips, but also our life. Worship is a way of life. 
And so what I thought might be most, most helpful is to look at the different types of psalms in Scripture. And there's actually uh, one, two, three, four, five. There's five different types, general types of worship that we actually find in the book of Psalms. And I thought this might be a helpful way to walk through it. Uh, the first category is hymns. And all the old people said amen, right? You know, art thou. That's not what we mean by that. But I do love hymns. And I'm sorry I called you old. Okay, so hymns essentially are songs of praise, like Psalm 8. It's these psalms that lift up the name of God. Uh, we need these type of songs in our life to sing the truth into our hearts of how majestic and mighty He is. Remember this, hymns are much more about declaring who He is rather than declaring how we feel, which is why I love hymns, because hymns is centered around theological truth rather than our feelings, okay? Not like, oh, how I love you, I just want to be at your feet. Like, okay, that's, that's great, but can we not say that 1,800 times, you know? Uh, but, but it's like, oh, you know, uh, Jesus talking about the resurrection, how you rose again, you conquered sin in the grave. Like all these songs speaking theological truths and praising him for what he's done is an amazing way to worship. And this, again, is, is individual and corporate. Another way is lament. Did you know lamenting is biblical? Well, you probably did. But did you know lamenting is an act of worship? Lamenting is simply expressing sadness to God or our complaints against God's enemies. It's, it's, it's weird because it initially seems negative, but it's God's people casting all of their anxieties on Jesus. I think Jesus said that before, right? Cast your cares upon him. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's okay to complain to God. Read the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Right? Express your grievances before, before, before the Father in a respectful way, but say, God, I'm so frustrated right now. God, I just lost a friend to cancer, and I'm sorry, but all I can think about is sadness and grief. So I'm presenting that before you. I would love to see in our culture more worship songs that are of the lament type. I would love for us to have more songs in our culture, in our worship services, where we are lamenting over our sin. We are lamenting over the hurt of our people, but then praising God that we still can hold on to his truth. Okay, so read Psalm 3 if you want to lament. Okay, this is my favorite one, imprecatory psalm. You ever heard of it? This one's so good. Definition, to invoke judgment, calamity, or curses upon one's enemy or those perceived as the enemy of God. So if you're taking notes, an easier way to say it, to invoke judgment on one's enemy. Psalm 137 is a good chapter to read for that. It's the people of God. They use these songs of worship to ask God to bring judgment on the enemies of God. And this is so hard for our culture because we don't want to talk about the justice of God because we don't want to know a God who, who punishes, but he does. And so praise the Lord that when someone has hurt you, you know he will have to pay for it. Jesus will pay for it in his place, but if he doesn't take that, then he's going to pay for that. And that's, guys, praise the Lord for the prison system, right? This, this, we all know justice is helpful, and so in precatory songs, be careful how you use them, because if you're a new be believer, just don't start cursing people on Twitter and be like, in the name of Jesus, okay? Be careful. But I, a, a good modern-day example is ISIS. God, I pray that you'd wipe them out because they are killing Christians every single day. God, I pray that you take care of them. In the scriptures, it says, may you dash their babies against the rocks. That's in the Bible. 
And that's when some of you left the faith. No, but it's, it's true. It's good for us to know, and I'm bringing it out there. Okay. Romans 12, 9 is a good verse because it says, uh, we let God avenge for us. And so we have to remember, imprecatory psalms are not, I'm angry at you, now I'm going to kill you. No, it's, I'm angry at you, God have your way. I'm going to let God take care of the situation. It's not my duty to slit your throat, but it's God's, okay, to dash your babies against the rocks. Can you, man, he was salty that day, David, man. Okay. The next one is Thanksgiving. You see that in Psalm 34. It's one of my favorite psalms. Thanksgiving, uh, a song of thanks from individuals and or communities. Philippians 4 is another great way uh, to, to, to worship God, give thanks for what he's done, and look forward to what he's going to do. I realize I need to keep, I need to go faster. Uh, wisdom, Psalm 1. Did you know that is actually a form of worship? It's songs that focus on fearing the Lord and following the path of righteousness. Again, I feel like we need more those types of songs today talking about how we are here to obey you, God. May we walk in the path of your righteousness. Your, your word, sanctify us in your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth, John 17. I think verse 17. Okay, so it brings us, it brings together the knowledge of God and the experience of God. So those are the five different types of psalms that you have in scripture, and I think that's the best way to talk about worship. Uh, again, we can go into a whole other thing. I also, let me just do a side caveat. It's funny how we idolize certain elements in, 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 in worship. Uh, did you know history lesson? A lot of people, and again, I'm not the pastor here, so whatever. But a lot of people say the organ, you know, needs to be in church. And, you know, that's like God's holy instrument. Do you know the origination of the organ? It was actually a bunch of rebel Christians who said, hey, we don't have any men in this church. What's the number one instrument at the bars right now? The organ. Hey, guys, you like that organ while you're getting drunk? We got the organ at church. Come on down. Let's worship. Some of your minds just were blown away right there. Right? So that's why next week we're going to have a DJ come up. And no, so, so that is what God... So we have to see that. Like what once was a rebel, now we just see it as holy and righteous, and we can never move. I had a pastor in San Diego, and he literally, his people would not let him leave, move the organ, even though they haven't played it in five years. And so his plan, it was amazing. He moved it one inch every single Sunday. Eventually it was to the wall, and people never noticed because it was one inch at a time, and eventually they took it away, and nobody noticed. <laughs> okay, so that's how you change something. All right, praise the Lord, King Jesus. So I noticed that piano's a little further back today. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Sabbath. What is Sabbath? This one, so many people, and honestly, as I was studying this, trying to figure out how do I approach this topic of Sabbath. Uh, Louis Giglio, again, he describes it this way. Sabbath is a day to remember that he is God and we are not. And we all say amen, right? Without Sabbath, we forget who we are and lose sight of who he is. Here's point number one for Sabbath. Our worth isn't defined by our work. That is why we Sabbath. We take time out where we don't do anything. Uh, again, I, I still, when, we, when I say don't do anything, I think hanging out with your family and enjoying recreation is Sabbathing. But if you're, you're not doing, you're not working. You guys see the difference there? And, and, it's a, and it's something that I have to preach to my heart constantly. I am not defined by what I do. I am defined by who I am in Christ. And Sabbath is an amazing reminder of saying, wow, God, you don't love me because I preach for you. You love me because you see Christ in me, the hope of glory. So Sabbath 
is this great reminder that he is God and you are not, and I don't have to feel my self-worth by what I do for the kingdom. I feel my self-worth by who I am in the kingdom. You see that? Amen. Preach it, Trey. Thanks. Okay, so we work from rest rather than through burnout. Here's what I mean by that. I want to emphasize the word from. Sabbath means we work from rest rather than through burnout. This is what I noticed. Uh, actually, Louis Giglio has been very uh, transformative for me in understanding Sabbath. He views Sunday as the first day of the week. Most of us view it, or Sabbath, sorry, whatever day your Sabbath is. Most of us view our Sabbath as the last day of the week. Here's what I mean. Most of us think, okay, I'm going to work, 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 hard, hard, hard. I am burnt out. Okay, now rest. But the way God has created it, we're supposed to rest in him. And from the strength that we have taken after being in his presence and being strengthened by him, we have a full tank and we love, 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 love. All right. Starting my day out again, full tank, love, love. You see that? Instead of like barely screeching on empty, filling up in the, I, I know that's just like you're thinking scientifically that's the same thing first and last day, but it's a mental thing. You're, this is your first day, not your last day. So that's good. Uh, Sabbath expresses dependence on God. This is fascinating. The world will still rotate without you. <laughs> so you're telling God, and again, I am so convicted of this, but I'm saying to God, okay, God, I'm not doing anything today because I need to rest and recognize that you're in control and I'm not. So even though I feel like I need to finish this project, that project can wait 24 hours. All right, last thing. Uh, Christians are not legally obligated to keep Sabbath. This is the biggest thing. Uh, we actually, I was talking to a, a, a prisoner, and he said he's been having a lot of Seventh-day Adventists talk to him, so he was asking questions. And one of the biggest things for them is... Uh, for Seventh-day Adventist, if you break the Sabbath, it's a sign of apostasy. You're no longer a believer in Jesus. We don't believe that. Read the Gospels. Jesus is constantly saying, you're, you've missed the whole point of the Sabbath, right? But I do think us as New Covenant believers, we are encouraged to practice Sabbath on a regular basis because it's a reminder, again, that he is in control and we are not. And uh, someone, a pastor, uh, recommended for me to take one day a week where I don't do anything, and I'm bad at this. For me, it's like two hours a week, but I'm trying to get better. But one day a week where I'm not working and just enjoying my family and enjoying life, try to do that. For me, that's not on Sunday because I have to go preach, right? I don't enjoy life. No, I love it, but it's still, it's work. It's the only day I work, right? According to most people. Okay, so uh, so what, pick whatever day the Sabbath can be, whatever for you might be Wednesday. Another thing he suggested to me is once a month, try to take a weekend off. You know, try to do something really fun, extra, especially when you have kids. Just just find ways, find rhythms to create Sabbath moments in your life. Maybe for you, lunch, a good Sabbath for you is to not be consumed on your phone or whatever, but you're just resting in his presence, and I don't know. So think about that for you, but we are not obligated, but it's encouraged. Okay, here's the last one, and I'm so excited about it, to talk about it. What is fasting? Fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Thank you, Richard Foster. Okay, fasting is a category a lot of people don't understand. Uh, Cornelius Plantinga, phenomenal philosopher, if you want to be confused, read his books. He says, self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude, and self-discipline usually its friend and generator. 
that is when gluttony is a deadly sin. The early desert fathers believed that a person's appetites are linked. Full stomachs and jaded palates take the edge from our hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to... Full stomachs take away our hunger for thir- and hunger and thirst for righteousness. They spoil the appetite for God. The purpose of fasting, essentially, is we just get, especially as Americans, we can be so temporarily satisfied with so many things. And if we're not satisfied with food, we go to the movies. If we're not satisfied with that movie, we go to the, and we can just constantly get ourselves bombarded with one thing after the other. And we actually spent an entire day, week, month, year, never reaching out for him and saying, God, I need you more than the air that I can breathe. You guys see that problem that you have? And so when you do that, you start really separating yourself from the presence of God, and you are, uh, Adrian Rogers says this, he says, the most miserable, the most miserable person on the, in the world isn't the non-believer. The most miserable person in the, in the world is the Christian who's not living the Christian life. Amen? Fasting is a way to bring us back. So I'm going to look at, it, we're, it's scripture all the way down, we're going to look at the purpose of fasting and the different ways you can fast. So the first thing is to strengthen prayer. In Ezra chapter 8, you actually have this moment where there is this, this huge prayer and praise breakout and revival comes. But it didn't happen until they fasted. There seems to be a difference in our minds when someone asks you to pray over a matter and when someone asks you to pray and fast over a matter. Clearly, the topic you're fasting over has a lot of weight to it. So if you really want someone to truly understand the weight, say, can you please fast? When's the last time you asked somebody to fast for something? If you truly need God's presence, ask God and fast for it. Okay, here's the next one. Judges chapter 20 is to seek God's guidance. Do you guys know the story of Judges 20? What was happening is the, uh, uh, the tribe of Benjamin did something really dumb. And so the other 11 tribes of Israel prepared for war against the tribe of Benjamin. And so the soldiers gathered at, at Gibeah because of a shocking sin committed by the men of the Benjamite city. And so they sought the Lord before going into battle. And, they even, and even though they outnumbered the Benjamites, 15 to 1, they lost. And they, and they lost 22,000 men. The next day, they're like, I thought we were doing this for the right thing. So they went to the Lord with prayer and tears, but again, they lost the battle with thousands of casualties yet again. They were very confused. Okay, God, the Benjamites were clearly in the wrong. Our 11 tribes were trying to fight for justice here, and we've lost two battles, even though we've outnumbered them. God, are you on their side or on our side? And so what they wound up doing in Judges chapter 20 in verse 28, it says, Shall we go up again to the battle with Benjamin, our brother, or not? They asked. Then the Lord made his will plain. Go, for tomorrow I will give you into your hands. Sorry, but verse 26, the reason they got to that point, in verse 26, it says that they fasted that day until evening. The biggest difference between those two battles and the last one is they not only prayed, but they fasted. And it brought more wisdom and guidance, and God wasn't going to bless that endeavor until you fasted. I wonder... How many of us, we've been so sad that this is what God has called us to do, but God didn't answer it. What if it's only because you didn't fast for it? That's what we see in Judges 20. Caleb and Jean, we're fasting tomorrow. All right, so next one, to express grief. I really, uh, when I lost my grandfather, uh, that was really hard, and it was a natural instinct for me to fast. I didn't want to eat food, and I just want to say, God, why did this happen? 
Of course, I know why, but you know, you start asking irrational questions and you're trying to think these things through. But it's something that's super comforting. You read that in 2 Samuel 1, David, he wept and fasted over the death of Saul and Jonathan. But through fasting, he, he, he was brought peace in his grief. Um, I think that's good guidance. If, if there's something, you have some sort of very bad grief and hurt, your first gut reaction needs should be to fast. And the next thing is to seek God's deliverance or protection. Do you guys know the story of Esther? Fascinating story. I love it. Esther chapter 4, Esther decides to stand up for God's people and approach the king and ask him to, to uh, have mercy on the Israelites. And in this day, uh, it was uh, King Xerxes, the way they would, this is, he's a king of Persia, there would be people, uh, there was a guy that was standing right next to the king on his throne, and he was holding, it was like this powerful, I don't want to, it's like an axe, you know, it'll chop your head off. And at any time when you approach the king, if you say something wrong, if in the slightest wrong tone, or, or ask something that shouldn't be asked, this man will cut your head off at the point. So Esther, this woman, okay, was approaching the king and saying, I know you just sent out a decree, but I'm asking you to not. And she was willing to die, but what she said to her people, it says, I need you to pray and fast for my protection. And I believe because God's people fasted, there was mercy and favor from the eyes of Xerxes on the request of Esther. This is, I know it's so hard because we always think God's sovereign, everything would have happened anyways. But in God's sovereignty, he's planned it in a way where he'll change the plans if you fast. You get what I'm saying? It's really strange. It's hard to think through. But fasting throughout history has, is the biggest reason revivals have begun. Uh, but to seek uh, protection. Number five, <clears throat> this one's so good. We need this, Lord. To express repentance and return to God. You guys know the story of Jonah. The people of Nineveh were warned of God's coming judgment for their sin. In fact, Jonah did not want to warn the Ninevites because these Ninevites were just absolute barbarians, uh, very evil people. They would take the scalp of, of humans and just tear them off, keep them alive, and just boil skin, do all sorts of stuff just for fun, uh, just to show that they're in power. And so Jonah didn't want to tell them to repent, but Jonah finally did because God made him. And they immediately responded with repentance, and they did it through fasting. And it actually saved the entire people. These godless people. It wasn't the Israelites. It was the Ninevites. Which, again, it shows a picture that God has always cared for all people of all time. Kind of relating back to what I talked about a couple weeks ago. All right. Next point. To humble oneself before God. To humble oneself before God. I mentioned a, a story in 1 Kings 21. What happened is Ahab, King Ahab, he wanted Naboth's field. Naboth said no, which is unheard of. If the king asks for something, uh, you say yes, but Naboth said no. So his wife got mad and ordered Naboth to be stoned. And uh, God condemned Ahab for, Naboth, uh, for Naboth's death. And Ahab was extremely prideful, but it brought him to, uh, it brought him to his all-time low, and he humbled himself before God and pleaded for judgment to pass over him. And so in this moment, again, he was in the wrong, and so he finally went to God and said, okay, God, you are right, and I am wrong. What if in your life you have been experiencing a disconnection from him? Maybe it's because you have not humbled yourself before the Father and said, God, I have been so prideful, but God, you give, you, you, uh, you, you give grace to the humble. You know, you exalt those who are, who are down, and you put down those who try to exalt themselves. 
All right, number seven. Everybody awake still? Okay. Number seven, to express concern for the work of God. You see that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. And so I think this is very great. I think this is something we need to do. Like, God, we need you to save this city. And so we, more than, more than I want food, I'm asking you, King Jesus, to show up and save this person. So I'm going to forfeit food. And during that time where I was going to eat, I'm going to pray and ask over and over again that you save this soul. Next one is to minister to the needs of others. You see that in Isaiah 58. They weren't fasting for themselves, but for those around them uh, to help those who are in need. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, I would love that life, where I'm fasting for people. It has zero to do with helping me at all. But I care for your soul so much, and my mind has been transformed to love God and love others. And so I am fasting on your behalf. If you do that, come talk to me. I got some stuff for you. All right? To overcome temptation. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, this is what Jesus did. We talked about this a few minutes ago. This was right before Jesus' public ministry. He was embarking into a new stage of life, and so he began it by fasting. Anytime you venture into some, something new for God, there's going to be temptations from the enemy. And so it's important to not receive those temptations and then fast, but let's get ahead of schedule, folks. Let's fast. But, and then we are equipped when the, when the enemy comes to tempt. Um, Another thing I think is smart, if you're entering a new job, fast. If you're getting a new house, before you live in that new house, fast. Dedicate it to the Lord. Um, if there's just anything different in your life, start out by fasting. If you're having a new child, fast for that child. Uh, I think we don't think in these ways, and I think we ought to. And I am included. I need to get better at this. Okay, the last thing is to express love and worship to God. To express worship to God. You see that in Luke 2, verse 37. Anna, she fasted simply because she wanted to dedicate worship to God above all things. Can you imagine that? Okay, God, I'm here. I don't have any other motive just by saying I love you so much and I want to be in your presence. All right, the next question is a lot of people ask, how do you fast? What do you fast from? Well, it's pretty easy. For some, it's water only. This is very tough. Uh, I don't suggest doing this over a long, long, long period of time. Uh, but usually, like, a water-only fast is a 24-hour period. So from 6 p.m. Thursday night to 6 p.m. Friday night, I am literally putting nothing in my mouth besides water. And I'm doing that for 24 hours. Now, this is not a diet plan, okay? You're like, I can use 24 hours of not eating. That sounds good. No, don't. That's the wrong motive. Uh, but, but during those, here's how you do it. Whenever you crave that cheeseburger... Instead of going and getting that cheeseburger, oh, praise the Lord, you are saying, God, more than I want that cheeseburger, I want you. More than I want this, I am repenting. More in any of those reasons. It's an expression of God of saying, God, I mean it. I need you, and I need you so much, I'm signifying it by forfeiting all the things of this world because you are more important. So the next thing is uh, juice. Juice only. I love it, Dad. I was actually talking to a, a pastor when I was in Atlanta, the Sin Network thing. And he told me, he, he fasts all the time, like once a month. And he says, brother, we live in the new covenant. So his rule, if it fits in a straw, he eats it. <laughs> so like when during his fast, if he can shred that thing enough and it comes through a straw, praise the Lord, praise King Jesus. So he's got the biggest ninja, you know. But, but juice only, it still is super tough, right? It's still you expressing, you still have these hunger pains. But it's juice only, and that actually can last for a very a longer period of time. Is that what you did when you did your 40-day fast? 
you just did water. And pills. You had, to, you, you had to do something else, right? Didn't you do pills to make sure you didn't die? Vitamin C? Yeah, so he was very sensitive when he did that, by the way. <laughs> right? That's what you tell people. 30 days? That's no, not. I'm just kidding. That's so impressive. So, all right. So juice only. Uh, essentially what it is is you remove, you can also remove certain types of foods. Again, it's very scary because you can start getting into a, a diet here. But like my mom, I'll tell you, the biggest sacrifice she can make in her life is to, to remove Diet Coke. That'll never happen because she'll start, she just probably won't be pleasant to be around. I, I wouldn't know. We've never had her try. But it's been an hour, and she's like, I got to have my Diet Coke. And so we, we get her Diet Coke. Like that's, and multi, I, I'm telling you, there's some sort of addictive drug in there. Because when people love Diet Coke, they are fanatics, okay, more than they love Jesus. All right, but uh, remove certain types of food and or drink, okay? And, and uh, that's very helpful. For uh, When I was in youth, I did that. I took away all fast food, and I'm not going to lie, I turned it into a diet, and I barely did anything of value with it. Social media is one. Social media is a great fast, except, of course, you still need to watch my YouTube videos. But besides that, fasting from everything <laughs> else, it's okay. God said, it's no, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, fasting from social media because we can get so caught up and this this thing it's these dopamines that release when we're always checking seeing what's new seeing what's new guys this is this news is the best news and we need to pour ourselves into it which by the way fasting a lot of it is prayer but a lot of it is reading God's word and meditating and memorizing and sabbathing and worshiping all these things put together culminate in a fast the last thing it's essentially removing anything that's a distraction what have you been distracted with? Don't say your kids. That's evil. Okay, don't be like, sorry, kid. Sorry, Sayla, you're six weeks old, but we're fasting. Okay, don't do that. But uh, maybe you should, but, you know, if they're a little bit older. But, you know, going away with just your wife, that's awesome. But fasting, what is something that has just been consuming your mind? For a lot of you, it's, it's the news, right? It's just been eating at you. There's You're constantly thinking negative thoughts because of some dude, I don't know, you know what I'm saying, Twitter, whatever it is, you're consumed by it, and so remove it, and it's helpful to set dates, but sometimes, some people, like, like there's certain relationships you need to fast forever from, okay, and get away from there, all right, what fasting doesn't do, fasting doesn't save you because Jesus does, some religions, there's certain, and we're talking about some next week, but some religions, fasting is a requirement to enter into the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. But Jesus expected us to fast. Did you know when he says, he didn't say if you fast, but what did he say? When you fast. He's expecting us to do it, but it doesn't save us. This one's so, this is the most powerful point of fasting. It is not a means to manipulate the hand of God. You cannot say to God, God, you owe this to me because I fasted for you. You approached fasting with the wrong heart, and you wasted your time. You should have just enjoyed the burger, okay? It is not a way to manipulate the hand of God and say, God, you now, I deserve this. Totally wrong. You're still submitting to a sovereignty and saying, God, this is what I'm expecting. This is what I'm yearning for. This is what I'm asking for. However, I ultimately know you are sovereign, and my, I'm also asking that whatever the answer is, that you would give me the peace and the wisdom to know that this is the best way, okay? 
do not manipulate the hand of God. I used to do this when I first started preaching when I was 16, 17 years old. I'd be like, all right, Jesus, I want 15 people saved, so I'm going to fast Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I'm expecting you to come on Sunday. All right, I would do that. It would be 14 people that came, and I'd be all ticked off. No, I'm just kidding. It was a bad moment in my life. It is not a way to make God proud of you. Some of you need to hear that twice. Fasting is not a way to make God proud of you. You know why? He's as proud of you as possible if you're covered by the blood of Jesus because Scripture says Christ is in me, but I'm also in Christ. So when, when God looks down at me, justification week two, he sees the righteousness that of Jesus Christ. And he, the same, just like how Jesus said when Jesus was baptized, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I can stand confident in the fact that he is saying the same exact thing about me. So I don't have to fast in order to, to get God to love me. All right, here's what fasting does do. It causes you to rely on Jesus. Fasting also brings glory to Christ and not us. That is why Scripture says, don't let people know when you're fasting. You know, don't make a big deal about it. Um, yeah, he says, don't, you know, because some people, they look all ragged, you know, and they would all, you know, oh, I'm just fasting today. No, just look like you're so happy, even though inside you're just like, your, your face is a burger right now, you know? Like, what is happening here, you know? But act, don't, don't, you know, maybe accountability partner, yeah, help me, but don't put it on social media. I mean, if you're vlogging, don't let them know that you're, you know, fasting. I was saying that to me. But don't, don't make a big deal about it because what you're doing is you're making it more about you than it is about the Father. The last thing, fasting has the potential to save your soul and other souls. Is there someone in your life you've been praying for for years to come to Jesus? Have you fasted for them? Have you pled to God not only just with praying but fasting? Imagine if tonight somebody here leaves and they begin to fast for their husband to come to Jesus. And imagine in a month from now we baptize them here on stage because they fasted for it. Guys, God is powerful enough. And he's generous enough to do that. And that is just so cool. Let's pray, and then we will have a short Q&A.